What an exciting morning of celebration, don't you think? Amen. You can say amen, you can say whoop, you can say whatever you want. Just show how excited you are just to see the faithfulness displayed in the life of the little ones. I want to turn your attention to the letter of Romans, to the, this amazing book. And I'm so excited because finally it seems like the clouds are going to start moving away and we're going to start seeing the shiny light of sun in the midst of all the storms of, described by Paul in the first seven chapters. Chapter 8 is going to be an amazing chapter. This chapter is considered the crown jewel of the entire Bible. If the Bible completely is a ring, a diamond ring, the gold ring might be the Bible, but you go to the book of Romans, that's the jewel, and then you go to chapter 8, that's the sparkles of the diamond. This is one of the best sermons, uh, no sermons, no, no, one of the best passages that you can study in this sermon, and I'm so excited that at least we're going to start this day uh, wetting our feet into this amazing good news of the gospel represented here. But before we dive into the scripture, let me ask you this. Have you ever seen the difference between a rowboat and a speedboat? Imagine for a moment what could be those differences. A rowboat and a speedboat. A rowboat, you know, you take their oars and you start rowing. But a speedboat, you just let the driver to, to take the strength of the engine and glide over anything. I have been in a rowboat, but I realized that there is a lot of things that can happen in a rowboat. Sometimes I don't have the enough energy or the strength to keep rowing, and some other times I feel weak and I don't have the endurance to keep going, or at least I don't go where I'm, where I'm planning to go. But I have been in occasions when I'm in a speedboat as well. I have friends who own a speedboat, and I just sit and watch them just taking the wheel and drive that thing. It looks like it's gliding. They're trusting on the powerful, the horsepower that they have in that engine. Well, this scenario offers a perfect analogy for what we have been studying so far. In Romans 7, for instance, last week, we saw that the futility of trying to please God based on our own performance and our own strength is useless. You know, in that chapter itself, more than 20 times you can see represented the pronoun I, me, or myself. And only one time you can see a verse in reference to the Holy Spirit. Romans 7, 6. We are too weak sometimes to try to do things on our own. We have all kinds of problems. And if we, by any miracle, succeed in just trying to accomplish something in our own strength, we end up being prideful, feeling arrogant and independent. But when it comes to speedboats, and for me, in this illustration, these people represent the Holy Spirit in the Christian life. 
And the Holy Spirit has put under our own hood all the strength, all the power. In other words, we have been given a divine power source. And it's acceptable to all of us who are in Christ. And when you talk to people who drive speedboats, I notice something. You will notice something. They never boast about how well they drive. They normally will be bragging about different things. For instance, the powerful engine that they just got. They will brag about the horsepower that they have, but never about their own abilities. Well, God, our God, he desires for us that we can rely on the power source of the Holy Spirit. And that's the, the theme for today, for this section in Romans 8, 1 through 11. To rely in the power source of the Holy Spirit. This is one of the amazing passages. Because not only will tell us necessarily about what could be our identity with Christ. What could be our source of strength. But it's one of the best passages that you can find in the entire scriptures, specifically in the New Testament, that talks about the Holy Spirit. And you want to know what is his role in your life. This is the place to learn more about him. More than 20 times you will find the Holy Spirit or the Spirit represented in chapter 8, Romans chapter 8. So this is a passage that is going to teach us, all of us, about our security, yes, our identity, but also how can we, you and I, live a victorious life, trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit in us. So we move for, for this vivid imagery of a rowboat and a speedboat reflecting in our own efforts versus the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Let's turn our focus on the profound teachings of Paul in Romans 8. It's interesting that Romans 8 is being called the red rose of Romans. Let's try to roll those R's. Red rose of Romans. Or like I say in Spanish, red rose of Romans. <laughs> that way you're never going to forget it. Why they call it this way? For two reasons. One, because it's beautiful in majesty represented in that chapter. But at the same time, this chapter exemplifies the way that Paul's write his argument in the book of Romans. It begins in verse 1, telling something very concrete. Like, for instance, those in the Messiah face no condemnation. It's very abstract. I mean, it's really, wow, astonished. But then you go to verse 2, and it starts to unravel this idea, but the meaning is densely packed that requires careful examination. It's like when you're thinking about the way that a rose, the flower, came to be, and that beautiful flower. You start with a little snook over here, and then the rosebud, and then it's opening a little bit. So that's how the chapter 8 starts. Verse 1 is just presenting us a concrete image, an idea. But then chapters 2 and 3 is explaining a little bit this one. And then you go to, to the next two chapters, and you will see a further explanation about that. And it's not until verses 9 to 11 that this chapter will teach us the central theme in full bloom. 
spreading the profound insight of all who engage in it, and that is this. If you, who are in Christ, rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, your life will be characterized by triumph and victory. Paul is going to argue that we need to rely on this power source. And the power source in the Holy Spirit is a person. It's not a force. It's a person who can transform our lives. So in Romans 8, 1 through 11, Paul will exhort you and me. He's going to tell us that the life of victory, not only through our own might and efforts, but through the might and efforts of the, the power source of the Holy Spirit, he will show us that at least we're going to find two victories to live for. One is that we can live above the law, and the second one is that we can live beyond the flesh. And those are the two main points of this sermon this morning. If you're going to remember something this morning, these are the two points that you need to remember. And the main idea, rely on the power source, which is the Holy Spirit. Are you ready? Are you ready to roll the boat? Or are you ready to go in that speeding boat? May today be something special for those of you who probably right now feel weak. Probably at this moment I'm feeling powerless. Feeling that you are not quite doing what you should do in your own strength. You know what? Chapter 8 is for you. Because chapter 8 is for all of, all of us. Because all of us, we know that many times, more than we can imagine, we are going through a difficult time. That we feel that sometimes we just cannot keep going. And we can in our own strength. But the good news is that we can do great things in that power source that is the Holy Spirit according to his will. Romans 8, 1 through 11. Let me start with the first point. We can live above the law. We can live above the law. Sounds like, a, like a one, of, one of those TV series about mystery, about police, right? Above the law. In Romans 8, 1, Paul is declaring the following. He's using the word therefore. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's unpack this for a moment. This is a lot in just one verse. So be ready. The first word, therefore, as I mentioned it before, always pay attention to the therefores that you find in the scriptures. So therefore, it's important because here it's crucial. It's connecting two things. Everything that he just said in chapter 7, especially verses 23, 24, and 25, the last three verses with this one, because he's mentioning, when he was saying, miserable of me, or wretched person like me, like myself, who can deliver me from this body of death? And then in verse 20 says, but thanks be to God, because in Jesus I got the answer. So now he says, therefore, he's connecting that point. And he's giving the explanation. Remember the analogy of the rose? He's opened it a little bit so you can see it. This leak emphasizes the transition from being in Adam, being in the sinful nature that we get from here, 
into being in Christ, which is the new nature that we are having thanks to the Holy Spirit in our lives. As a result, we no longer face condemnation from evil, not even one. Not in the past sins, not in the present sins, and believe it or not, not even in the future sins that we are able to commit. So this is one of the greatest passages that you can find about eternal security. The security of your salvation. Because he belongs to the Lord and it's up to him to keep it. So when Paul is talking about condemnation, what is he talking about? Condemnation literally means punishment following a sentence. And thanks to Christ who died on that cross, carrying the sins of the world, you who are in Christ, you who have placed your faith in Christ, are facing no condemnation. And those are great news. Sadly, many people think that they are going to be condemned. Many people think that they're going to be punished. And it is far from reality according to this passage. Because he is telling us here, as he often condemnation relates to justification to be declared righteous before God, However, in this context, Paul is talking about sanctification, which is a process, a process that every believer needs to go through, always advancing, not perfection, but sanctification, the ongoing process of becoming more and more like Christ to the Spirit working in us, not in our own strength, but in the strength that provides the Holy Spirit for all of us. As we discuss, this is what Christ is doing on behalf of of those who are his. Romans 3.21 through 4.25, the spirit work is within us, he says. So, there is no condemnation. And there is a word that I will ask you to put there. Pay attention. This is now. Now. This is very significant. Highlights that the believer is free from the condemnation immediately in the present time, in the here and now, not just in the future after death and glorification. Right now, if you are a Christian, if you really are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Spirit of God living within you. And because of what Christ did for you, you are not facing condemnation. You're familiar with the term double jeopardy, meaning that a person cannot be judged with the same crime twice. So your crime... And my crime has been judged. And somebody paid a penalty for us. So for us, in Christ, there is no more condemnation in the present time and in the future. That we're going to face the results of our own bad decisions? Oh, yeah, that's a different story. We are going to go and we're going to face the consequences of our wrong decisions. But this doesn't have anything to do with our eternal security in Christ. It has everything to do with a relationship, with a communion, with a fellowship with the Lord. Because he cannot stand sin, and that communion is broken. But when you became conscious of that, realizing that you need to ask God forgiveness, and you repent, really repent, you, with a fellowship with him, is restored. It's the fellowship that we lose sometimes, but not the relationship that we have with him. Pay attention to that. This freedom from condemnation doesn't mean an absence of conviction of the need of confession. 
It means that in Christ, there is no eternal penalty for our sins. This also means that our status before God is secure. You are safe, you are secure. God does not respond rejecting us. He is not like many parents that try to put a lot of conditions to show their love for the kids. If you behave, then I will love you. God loves you no matter what. And because of that love that he has for all of us, even in our condition of being sinners, he made a way for us to come to him by the righteousness vested upon us through Jesus Christ. So that's why the phrase, in Christ Jesus, is so important. Occur in Paul's letters, in the 13 letters that he wrote in the New Testament, occur so many times, hundreds of times. So this is the profound unity that the believer experienced with Christ at the point of justification when he was declared innocent before God because we are one with him, with Jesus. So in summary, in Jesus, in Christ Jesus, we find ourselves not bound by the weight of our sins or to the law's condemnation. Instead, we are lifted by the Spirit into freedom by God's grace, by God's love, a freedom that will transform our daily living in our spiritual journey. In Romans verse 2, you see, in just one verse, we're almost done with the sermon. But don't be so lucky. It's verse 2 what is next. Paul used the word for, and he is explaining something amazing. He is bridging the gap between the freedom from condemnation and the reason behind it. He says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Notice, law, small letters, small caps, not capital letters. This is not the Mosaic law, not in this case. But this is a principle, a principle of life in the spirit. We are set free from the crippling power of sin that once dominated us before we became Christians. So he introduced these two distinct laws. In this context, a law is not just a rule, but a consistent pattern dictating how things happen. Consider the law of gravity, for instance. You know that somehow gravity stays. You see that on the sidewalk, that block of concrete is right there, is seated, is right there. Nothing can move it. You see that. But somehow, sometimes, something starts growing underneath and breaks through the concrete, and a tree can go up. So, the law of gravity is not invalidated by that. It's simply that the other laws of nature are becoming stronger at this point. Another example is the law of aerodynamics. You see a 747 jet. It's humongous. I mean, you see, this it's, it's amazing. And you, you, you should think, how that thing is going to fly? It's so heavy. But through the different things that they, this jet has, somehow, as he leaves the runway, you can see it cruising to the skies. 
because another law was broken or was surprised by the laws of aerodynamics. So these laws are acting, but there are other ones. So in, all, in, in, in this example, what I'm trying to tell you is, Paul is, is mentioning this. You know, the law, the principle that you have now that you are walking in the Spirit is surpassing the laws of death and the laws of life. If you are in Christ, you have the power to walk in those things. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. This is not your future hope. This is your present hope. In Romans 8.3, he says, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. This is highlighting the reason why Jesus Christ came into being. He became a human being like you and me. He incarnated, was God incarnated. That's what we celebrate around Christmas time. The nativity, the, the birth of Jesus. Not the beginning of Jesus because he always exists. But the birth in human flesh. God in human flesh. That's what we celebrate at this time. The miracle that he was incarnated. He was fully God, but he was also fully human. So God's redemptive plan in Christ was being placed. And this transformative power of grace, we can see it right here. In verse 4, we see what is the purpose of his sacrifice as well. So that requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This fulfillment is not by our own efforts, but through the Holy Spirit. It's not by the things that you can do for God. It's but what God already did for you that you can walk in this freedom that he's offering. While Jesus has already met the requirements on, on, on our behalf, you don't have to fulfill him. Not because the law is not important. It's because he was the only one who can fulfill it completely. But if you are in Christ, the fulfillment of the law has occurred because of Christ's righteousness. So Paul is teaching us here by this principle of life that the spirit and the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we can live a life that pleases God. We can live a life that honors God. We can live above the law in a spiritual sense because of what Christ did and what the Holy Spirit that lives within us can do. And point number two, that expands because we not only can live above the law, we also can live beyond the flesh. Verses 5 through 11 is telling us this. If verses 1 through 4, there will be one, one word that characterizes these four verses. is freedom, liberty. You can think about freedom when you read those verses. We are free from condemnation, no condemnation. In verses 5 to 11, the key word will be fruit, fruitfulness. We are free, but not just to enjoy and do nothing. We are free, and now we are carrying fruit, bearing fruit in his name. And this is what we find here. We move from freedom to live above the law. We now explore what it means to live beyond the flesh. 
This progression is exactly what Paul is arguing here. He's arguing in chapter 6 and 7, and now he's assured us that we are free from the shackles of sin, from the shackles of legalism, and now we can enjoy the grace that we are having thanks to Jesus Christ. In Romans 8, 5, Paul presents the stark contrast with two mindsets. Look, look this phrase. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds. You can circle that phrase. They have a mindset. They set their minds on the things of the flesh. He's talking about those who are non-believers. Their mindset is the things of this world. They have been set their minds in things that are not God's. And he's making a contrast. He's saying, but those who are according to the Spirit, he, their mindset is in the things of the Spirit. So we are thinking, and this is exactly what he's explaining in Colossians. Set your minds in the things above. Not of this world, but in the things of God. And this is what characterizes those who are already redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. My question to you is, are you walking in the spirit? Or are you still walking in the flesh? Because if you're not producing the fruit that he's expecting for you, which means you are leaving, your mindset is in the things above. But if your mindset is in the things below, then you're still not realizing what happened to you. And it's important that you know what is your own condition. Verses 6 to 8, for the mindset on the flesh is death. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. On the other hand, focusing on the spirit yields to life that is characterized by sanctification. You keep going. It doesn't mean that you're not going to commit sins. Salma describes it so well. She is professing Christ. It doesn't mean that she is not longer a sinner. She will continue sinning because like her, we are all inside this body of death. We are always with a tendency to commit the sins of the flesh. But the good news is that now we have another choice. We have an option to obey God and to walk in his faith. So in Romans 8, 7, he's saying, because of the mindset of the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it's not even able to do so, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So he's explicitly talking about that those who consider themselves Christians and not acting according to the mindset of the flesh are behaving like the ones who are not regenerated by Christ. Those who are still sinners. And we need to react. So that's why verses 9 through 11 are the good news of the gospel for all of us. He's talking about Christians. His transition is strictly directed to you. However, you, and this is the you, Texan, y'all, the you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. He's saying, if you are a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. But if you think you are a believer in Christ, but you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you are not Christ. So he's making it so clear. He's very direct. You cannot claim that you are a Christian if the Holy Spirit doesn't reside in you. There is no separation between the faith in Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life. He's not assuming that fact. He's not saying it differently. He's not saying you may have the Holy Spirit. He's saying 
If you are a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, then you are a believer. Christ in you, through the, the, the body of death is because of sin. Yet the Spirit, that's the interesting word. Yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit is of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. You say, I cannot do it in my own strength. I cannot leave this this habit that I have that is not pleasing God. I, can, I cannot stop committing this sin. No, you can't in your own strength. But now you have a, an amazing power within you. And that's the power bestowing upon you, given to you by God through your faith in Christ. And that power exercised by the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Now, you cannot do it in your own strength, but you can do it in the power that can raise the dead. The one who raised Jesus from the dead is the power that you have access right now in your life. Three times he's saying it here. He declares the transformative truth in the flesh, but in the spirit. This is who we are. Since Christ is in us, this is not just future hope, but a present reality. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave. Verse 11 this is the truth. I'm looking for something. Can you help me with that? So I can show you specifically what it all represents. In Romans 8, 11, Paul articulates this profound truth. And he says, but in the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The promise of the resurrection the physical resurrection of the body is for all of us who believe in Jesus Christ. Let me explain what I mean. How many of you are familiar with something that probably you have in your home, in your cabinet, at least in my home we used to have it. That was a common thing that we used to have at home. And it's uh, something that is called alcohol seltzer. Right? Not commercial, but this is a great relief. Remember? So what will happen if I put this Alka-Seltzer in a glass of water? What can happen? Well, let's figure it out. You got the package. You put it in water. See what happened? <laughs> can I put more water? What is happening here? Can you see it? Maybe I need to shake it a little bit, right? It's nothing. Why? Why do you think it's nothing happening with this? Oh, I hear you. I need to open the package, right? Let's, let's try it. So in the second one, we're going to get the two tablets. And you start seeing what is happening. You even can hear it. The commercials that they have for my cassette were great. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what relief it is. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's sparkling. What is the difference between this and this? When you release what was in that package, you can see the power in place. 
When you dissolve what the Alcazar can do, you can see the power that it brings. And this, brothers and sisters, is exactly what happened in your Christian life with the Holy Spirit. You may say you are a believer, but if you don't unleash the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, then you are continuing living a life, believing that you are still in the old self. You need to learn to focus. You need to learn how to unleash the power in your life, the power of the Holy Spirit, so he can be more in you than you and yourself. And that is what we call, and this is the prayer that the Holy Spirit, to the Holy Spirit that Paul always asks us to pray. Asking the Holy Spirit, please fill me. Please, Holy Spirit, fill me. The Holy Spirit is in me already. It's right here, but it cannot fill me until I unleash the power in my life. So when I ask the Holy Spirit to fill me, it means that I'm relinquished, that I'm giving the power to him so he can control my life, so he can make the decisions, so he can be the one living through me, not me in myself. This is the problem when you and I as Christians are living life of failure. Because we haven't experienced the power yet, not because we don't have it, it's because we haven't used it. And it's time that we can unleash the power, and that power is accessible to all of us. So remember how we started this journey. We contrast the differences between a rowboat with an effortless glide of a speedboat. What was the difference? The power in the motor that has a speedboat, right? Not in your own strength but in the power that is already in place inside the boat. So this imagery mirrors our spiritual walk. Like a rowboat, we often strive, we try to please God in our own strength, to live the Christian life in our own strength, to fulfill the law in our own strength. But it's impossible. It's tiring. Yet, God offers you a better way. The way of the Spirit, akin to the powerful engine on the speedboat. And as you can see, this Alka-Seltzer, believe me, the tablet must be dissolved. The tablet must be placed in water. The water of the Spirit must be tasted. Yes, it is. So we can start having that healing, the powerful healing of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So it's not about our own power, it's about the Spirit's power. So I will leave you with two, two action points in your life. Number one, embrace daily spiritual practices. Start each day by inviting the Holy Spirit to come into your life. He is in you, inviting you to release his power in you, to take control of your own mind, to take control of your own bodies, to yield to him, more of him, less of you. Like John the Baptizer used to say, Lord, that you can increase in me and I'm diminished. That's what you tell the Holy Spirit. Cultivate the habit of reflective prayer throughout the day. Pausing, seeking the Spirit guidance in every situation. Believe me, He wants to help you. He wants to guide you. It is you, the one who takes the wheel of your own life and start driving in a different direction. Stop fighting with Him. Let Him drive your life. Number two, foster community and personal reflection. Regularly connect with others in your faith community. Share and encourage one another in your spiritual journeys. 
Utilize the connections to discuss how the Holy Spirit is working in your lives and support each other in these challenges of life. In your personal time, keep a gratitude journal. Write on it. Not in daily, the ways that you observe how the Holy Spirit won a victory in your life. How his presence is make you feel closer to him. By focusing on these key practices, I will encourage you. Your life will be transformed. You're going to rely more on his power and less on yours. And you're going to enjoy living in victory. Let's move forward. Let God be God in our lives. Don't just believe in him, but trust him. Trust him in his word. Please stand up. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we realize that without you, we're nothing. It's just because of the power that resides in us, thanks to the Holy Spirit that was placed on us. As a promise fulfilled by Jesus when he was telling his disciples that you don't have to be sad. It's important for me to go. It's for your own good that I had to leave. So I can send you one that is always going to be with you. And what a wonderful promise, Lord, that we have through your son Jesus Christ that what he did on the cross allows us, Father, to come closer to you. When we trust in him and what he did on the cross and he became our Savior, our Lord, Father, you use your Holy Spirit to baptize us into your own family. We became family, your family, when we were strangers, when we were enemies. And now, Father, that power is within us. And Paul is saying it so clearly in this portion of Romans 8. It's great that the Holy Spirit is in us. Now we need to unleash his power within us. Allow us, Father, to rely on him, on your spirit, more in their own strength. And guide us, Father, so you can increase and we might decrease. And we ask this in the powerful name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everybody says, Amen.